0: Hello and welcome to the Simply Podcast. I'm Patrick Holbert, Director of Content and Communications at Simply and today I'm joined all the way from the States by Jacob Morgan who is a Future of Work and Employee Engagement Specialist, also a keynote speaker, co-host of Be Your Own Boss and a best-selling author. So it's going to be a great discussion today and we're looking forward to it greatly. So let's get started. Well let's let's kick it off then uh, Jacob. So yeah, just to start with a, a bit of background into why while you moved into future of work you've got 15ish years experience in this area so what attracted you to looking into this um, future of work's always been a fun topic for me because it's always
1: changing it's always expanding there are a lot of different themes there to explore and when i had jobs out of college it was one of the themes one of the questions that i always had is is this what work is going to be like is this what i have to look forward to for the rest of my life uh, what is the the future of my career going to look like and so those were natural questions I kept asking myself, and I thought, well, it'd be fun to explore that in more detail. And the rest is history.
0: Okay, Bill, and I know that you obviously you you're, you're a business leader, and you focus a lot um, on leadership um, in in your day to day work. I was wondering, obviously, you've, you, I've shown you a little bit what that simply does, um, and uh, one of the common topics is that the, the the communicators struggle with leaders, struggle to get them involved, or that they struggle to get them to listen. So what are leaders looking for in a communications function and what can make that difference um, to, to our audience? I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't work a
1: lot with people in the communications space, but you know, my, my general perception, I mean, communications is very closely aligned and related to uh, functions in HR. And I, I feel like ultimately what a lot of leaders are looking for is probably a few things. Uh, number one is guidance, direction, and vision. So I kind of look at the HR and the communications teams, almost kind of like the, um, the future of work task force, so to speak. Uh, helping leaders understand where are things going? How do we get there? What should we be doing? What's kind of on the horizon? I think that's certainly an important part. Uh, and being able to help convey a, a vision and a direction, I think is also an important part of that. And also working closely and aligning with HR, You know, part of communications and, and HR's role now is to, um, it's almost expanding and just being kind of like a task force that's aware of what all the different business units are doing, how they're changing, uh, what some potential options and, and opportunities might be for them, and then kind of conveying that. So I think it's also a very, very exciting role for communications functions to be in, also a very changing role, a very tough role. Um, but my, my general sense is I really just kind of guidance and leading the way for a lot of these initiatives that we're talking about around the future of work.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point around the the, the, the malleable um, role of Patreon and IC, uh, in particular, in yep. communications functions. So uh, we'll touch on that a bit later, and I'll obviously have a tech focus. But um, but yeah, uh, obviously it's a it's a challenge, but also an opportunity. Um, so I, I, I found I found you uh, in the in the uh, reading a medium article um, talking about executive coaches and and, the, and that uh, leaders shouldn't need an executive coach. Um, obviously, it's a relatively contentious argument, and you probably wrote it for that purpose. Um, can you la- elaborate? I mean, as it's not recorded, my I, I have mixed emotions uh, but personally around leaders um, paying for uh, a significant amount of money for leadership coaches. Um, but uh, yeah, can you elaborate on, on why you you've, you have this feeling, um, uh, Jacob, for me? Sure. No, I actually think leaders need to have executive
1: coaches. So I think the article that you're talking about. I started doing a series of s- satirical articles. So at the bottom of all those articles, if you look at what it says, it says the outdated leader. And so I wrote, uh, I think the article was called Why Why Working with a Coach is a Sign of Weakness. Yeah. And I wrote it from the perspective of an outdated leader who is embracing and really uh, holding on to outdated leadership practices and ways of thinking about work. So that, that was a complete article written in satire. I've written a few of those over the years, uh, or, yeah, over the last year or so, ranging in titles from you know, put on your, your, your big kid pants and get back to work, to don't look your CEO in the eyes, to, you know, why you shouldn't listen to your employees. And this was another one in that series, which was uh, why working with a coach is a sign of weakness, especially for leaders. Mm, So from, from that regard, I mean, I actually think leaders should be working with coaches. And I think more and more of them are going forward. It used to be a little bit of a taboo subject over the past years to admit that you're working with a coach because people would see that as a sign of weakness. Like, oh, what's wrong with you? You need a coach? Uh, you're struggling, and today more and more, I think a lot of leaders are working with coaches, and more importantly, they're talking about the fact that they're working with coaches. So I think it's a great thing
0: for um, for any leader to work with a coach. Bill, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll touch upon um, kind of yeah dated and outdated practices as well um, within leaders and within organizations later. But um, yeah, thank you for for for, for that. You. You may be unaware, but you caused a bit of a Twitter storm around it where people weren't sure if it was satire or not. Um, and I was also not sure. Um, so, um, but yeah, it was um, it was entertaining. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw there was a lot of uh, tweets and comments and stuff like that.
1: Um, and that kind of what, make, what makes it fun, right? I mean, part of what I try to do is to draw uh, attention and to have conversations and discussions around things that, you know, we probably don't talk about as much as we should be. And that's definitely one of them.
0: Yeah, uh, on that point, what happens if a business is struggling to pay its employees? They're not having a pay rise. Pandemic means they aren't having a pay rise, and and the leader's paying a hundred thousand dollars a year on a on a coach. I mean, uh, that comes up, makes public. Is there is there an issue there possibly with the with the workforce? Um, you know, I mean, it depends,
1: right? I mean, that's it's kind of a very very broad. Um, broad question and broad thing to think about. You know, if a leader is working with a coach to try to figure out how to become a better leader, how to deal with times of crisis, how to deal with times of tragedy, uh, tragedy how to put people first, you know, then working with a coach can be certainly an invaluable thing. Um, but if working with a coach comes at the 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 sacrifice of, uh, you know, if it's if it's a question of I get to keep my coach, uh, but that means I have to fire people, which I've never heard of that kind of a trade-off, but I don't think that would be a good trade-off. I would definitely prioritize people over working with the coach. Uh, so, you know, again, I've, I've never heard of anybody having to go through that kind of a trade-off, but certainly working with a coach, especially during times of tragedy and crisis is, is certainly valuable because there's no playbook. There's no uh, pandemic playbook. There's no pandemic Uh, process for what do you do um, during these times of tragedy and crisis. So working with a coach can be very, very valuable uh, to help navigate the team, to help navigate the organization uh, to safety. But again, I don't think it should be done. uh, I don't think employees should be sacrificed, so to speak, uh, for the sake of using a coach. But again, I I've never heard of any,
0: any situation in which that was the case. And obviously uh, under crises and, Tragedies. It's always good to listen to the communications function and the corporate communica- corporate communications team, of course. Um, so obviously, you, you've, you've spoken um, a lot about workplace. I've written a lot about workplace culture. Um, you know, as I put in my question to you, it's not coffee. It's not coffee table chats anymore. So how can you replicate a, a workplace culture in, in, in an increasingly digitized world?
1: Well, to some extent, you can, and to some extent, uh, you can um you know i am one of the believers that hybrid work is a big part of the future of work which means that sometimes you do require and sometimes you should have um in in person presence right i mean i i don't believe that work should be 100% remote for everybody at all times i mean that to me is a pretty crazy way to think about work when you consider that even you know 5 10 years ago um the majority of work was done in an office that's where training was done that's where leadership skills were showcased that's where connections were made that's where trust was built and so to all of a sudden just say well we don't need any of that anymore it's all going to be done behind a screen it's not quite the same thing and i think a lot of people will acknowledge that that's the case you know same thing for me in the work that i've been doing i've been doing a lot of virtual speeches um, as a result of the pandemic And can I do a speech virtually? Sure. Can I get my message across virtually? Sure. Is it the same thing as giving an in-person keynote where you can see people's body language, you can see people's faces when you can talk to them afterwards and shake hands and answer questions and go out to dinner or get coffee with people? No, it's not the same thing. So there's a difference between what you want the outcome to be. If, If the outcome or the goal is simply to focus on tasks and to get work done, then sure, right, in my case, if my goal is simply to deliver speeches, of course, I can do that in a virtual environment. But I think what we're looking at and what we're trying to talk about is to do more. How do you do more than just accomplish the task? How do you grow? How do you develop? How do you innovate? How do you come up with new ideas and better solutions? How do you create trust and and you know create those better relationships? And I think that's where a lot of the in-person stuff is valuable. Now, again, I don't think you need to be in the office nine to five every single day, but you know the flip side of that is also true. I don't think you need to be kind of an avatar behind a screen your entire life. So there's a healthy balance and a healthy medium between the two. Um, and from pretty much everybody that I've talked to, I mean, they, they would agree that that's the case. So some aspects you cannot replicate in a virtual world. It's just not, it, it's not the same thing, right? Like I play a lot of chess, for example, and it's like trying to say, you know, how do you replicate the over the board in-person chess feeling in a virtual environment? You can't, I mean, you could still play chess in a virtual environment, don't get me wrong, but you're not getting that same vibe where you're looking at your opponent in the eyes, you can see their body language, it's, it's different. So some of the things that you can replicate, obviously you can focus on the tasks, you can focus on the work, you could still get things done. Um, you could try to replicate some of the stuff in terms of casual conversations and meetups and get togethers and things of that nature. So you can still have some of that human connection and some of that human relationship there but it's not gonna be the same as let's say when you go grab coffee with one of your coworkers, when you're walking down the hall and you could see somebody and you can you know, walk over to somebody and ask a question or get help. So that 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 cultural element, that human aspect of work, I think is something that's really hard to replicate in a virtual environment. The easier part to replicate in a virtual environment is just the fact, just the part of getting work done. So getting work done, you can replicate in a virtual environment, the human stuff, I think,
0: is much harder to do. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, there's a place for for both. Um, I, I, you touched earlier on values and the importance of them. Uh, from my experience, if, if if the leaders don't believe in in the values or the mission statement or the vision of the business, it's not worth the paper it's written on or whatever campaign you run. Um, but you know, if, if 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 they do, then it's it can be more, um, you know, it can, the strategy as well can be permeated throughout the business um, much much easier. Um, but what? So what? To what extent do you do you believe that? Obviously, if we're keeping to this digitised world um, uh, kind of um, focus, do you think the values and mission are possibly even more critical now than they were before, uh, or do you think it's still the same?
1: I mean they've always been critical right you know you want people to work for you and for your organization because values and principles and culture are aligned i mean that i think that's always been true um in in the business world i mean why would you want somebody to work for you when there isn't alignment with those things so is it more important in a virtual world i mean it's hard to say if it's more important i think it's always been something that you should be looking for when you're hiring people so um Again, I, I don't know if it's more important or not. I would just say that it it has been important. It has always been important, and it will continue to be to be important, whether you're hiring employees virtually or whether you're hiring employees in person.
0: Okay, and I know it's as I, I mentioned rather, um, yeah, um, pressingly in, in in my questions. Obviously, it's easy for people to um, to embed values when they're you know four and a half days uh, working from home. I'm in my jogging bottoms right now. Um, you know, some of my colleagues might be, uh, you know, driving the vans at five in the morning. Um, how do you how do you get that buy in from every single member of staff when on an equitable level? It looks a bit unfair. How, how do you get that culture right? So when you say buy in, buy in for what? Just by buying into the, the 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 culture and the vision and the purpose of, of, of any given organization, let's say an FMCG um, company where you'll have you'll have a, a disparate workforce. Well, look, I mean,
1: that's the nature of work, right? I mean, obviously, if you are in HR, you have more flexibility to have um, in an environment where sometimes you're at home, whereas opposed to if you're driving a van, uh, you don't necessarily have that flexibility. So part of it is just accepting that that's the nature of the work that you're in, right? And if I'm a flight attendant, what am I going to say? I want to have a flexible work environment where I'm not on the plane. I mean, it's it's just not a realistic thing to think about. Uh, I think if you as an individual are in that situation where you want that flexible environment, then it's probably gonna be up to you to consider a career change, right? It's gonna be up to you to say, you know what? I don't wanna do this anymore. I don't wanna drive the van. Maybe i want to do something in administrative uh, functions. Maybe I wanna be in HR. Maybe I wanna be in customer service and support. And so it's gonna be up to you to ultimately make that change. But you know, for for us to simply say that everybody should have that kind of an environment is not, it's not realistic. It's not practical. It's like saying, well, you know my leader has a good parking spot. I want that parking spot. Well, you know, that's unfortunately, that's not quite the way that the world works. That's not quite the way that business works. Um, so it's just not it's not realistic. Now, however, uh, from ha- having said that from the employee part, I think organizations can also do a better job of trying to incorporate some of the workplace flexibility ideas. So I remember a couple of years ago, I talked to, um, I think it was the chief human resource officer at The Gap. And he was uh, explaining to me how they were trying to give employees who worked in retail stores the opportunity to have more flexible work options by allowing employees to coordinate schedules with each other. They had a, um, a technology platform, a digital app, where if an employee wanted to work certain hours, they could request it and negotiate it within, uh, with themselves. If they didn't wanna show up a particular day, it was up to them to get somebody else to cover that shift. So they had you know, as much flexibility as they can in building and designing their schedules and negotiating with other people on their team. But of course they all acknowledged and respected the fact that they do work in stores. And so they still need to continue to work in stores. So I think we could explore um, you know, some other options there, giving employees better tools and technologies so that they can stay connected with everybody else giving employees more um, autonomy to shape and design and build their schedules and coordinate with other people, things like that we can certainly explore, but we can't go so far as to say, if I'm driving a van, I no longer want to drive a van anymore um, because somebody in HR, you know, gets to work from home. Like that's, I think that's kind of a a silly argument for somebody to make.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, is you, you alluded to the technology there enabling uh, um you know enabling collaboration of an, of an extent there um to be able to kind of help each other out um so we'll go on to onto technology platforms a bit later um in the meantime i know so i looked at uh, your notes and you do talk about the war for talent and giving employees what they want when they want it um and uh, yeah my question really to you now jacob is what they what what do they want in 2023 and what what will they want in five years' time?
1: So it's not giving employees what they want, when they want it. It's more about creating an environment where employees want to show up. Um, and I actually believe that in today's environment, employees, uh, you know, dare I say, have a little bit too much power and they are too comfortable and they are too um, embracing the status quo. And now what we're starting to see with a lot of layoffs is that getting disrupted. Um, you know, I, and I, I frequently get asked about this and I've talked to a lot of CEOs about this, And for me, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, in today's environment, employees want more money, they want more perks, more benefits, they want equity, they're asking for so many things from the organization. And then on top of that, they're telling the company, hey, by the way, I don't even want to show up to work. I want all these things and I don't even want you to see my face. And that's a pretty crazy proposition for an employee to put forward when they are looking for a job. Yet it's happening inside of a lot of organizations you know, the, the notion that we have to incentivize employees to get back to work is kind of a crazy notion for me to think about because work used to be the incentive. Getting a paycheck used to be the incentive. Growing and developing yourself personally and professionally used to be the incentive. Being able to save up to buy a house, to to have a family, to pay your bills and expenses, that was the incentive. That is why you worked. And today we're in a completely different environment where it's like, you know, please come back to work. And it's, it's, it's like work is no longer the incentive. And that, to me, is just a weird thing to think about. So I think employees inside of a lot of organizations are, are comfortable because they have too much power. And when employees have too much power, what's the incentive for them to go above and beyond? One of the things that we talk about and we keep hearing about is employees are, um, you know, they're they're quiet quitting, they're leaving their manager's. But why why are we always blaming the organizations and why are we always blaming the leaders? You know, Granted, there are certainly some organizations and leaders out there that, um, that are not good, but I think it's also worth exploring the opposite notion of that, that we are working in a world now where employees have so much power, they have so much control, that there is no incentive for them to go above and beyond. They're quiet quitting because they can. They're quiet quitting because there's no no push, no drive for them to do more than what is asked of them. It's not just about the leader and the manager. In fact, I've talked to a lot of leaders and I've talked to a lot of managers and CEOs who are saying, look, we are trying to get our employees to do more. We are doing everything that we can in our power. We're trying to create great environments for them to want to show up. We're trying to pay them more. We're trying to give them more perks and benefits. And none of that is working so sometimes it's not the leader it's not the organization it's not the culture it's the fact that the employee can sit back and say well look i have that i'm in the position of power i know they're not going to fire me i know they need me i know that there is a big war for talent right now so you know what i'm going to hang out i'm going to coast i'm going to do whatever i want and you know fire me i dare you and that's kind of what's happening i think in a lot of organizations now so um, I, I think the pendulum is a little bit off center and it needs to get rebalanced a little bit. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to start to see happen, especially as we go through more layoffs. We're talking about uh, you know, inflation, recession coming up. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a rebalance of power there. Now, I'm not saying it needs to go fully in the hands of organizations. Uh, I, I think that sometimes having a little bit more power in the hands of employees is good. But when it's so far in one direction, I think it creates a lot of challenges for organizations and it creates a lot of challenges for employees as well. And this is kind of a hard thing for me to say because I'm a big believer in employee experience and creating organizations where employees actually want to show up to work each day. But at a certain point, it needs to be realistic. It needs to be practical. It needs to be scalable. You can't create Pinocchio's Island and and have that be a sustainable business strategy. So we need a little bit of a rebalancing, I think, going forward. Um, And I think that's what we're going to see more of.
0: Okay. Um, how do companies rebalance this? And obviously, there might, there will be a, a shift likely as, as recession hits and levels happen. But while companies are still offering um, similar type of pay, work from home, as much as you want, we'll only bring you into the office if there's a bona fide reason. How are they going to retain employees when someone down the road is offering them that?
1: Well, we're starting to see that now, right? So we're starting to see that with a lot of layoffs, Uh, a lot of tech companies. uh, I think Amazon just recently announced that 18,000 employees being laid off. So I think as more employees inside of organizations get laid off and get thrown back into the, um, the candidate pool, so to speak, when they apply for organizations, those contracts, those relationships are going to be renegotiated and kind of rebalanced into more um, realistic and practical expectations. We're also starting to see organizations now take more active stances and say things like, "Hey, you know what? Time to get back on the uh, back in the office." Or, "You know what? Um, you know we're going to have to cut some of these perks or cut some of these benefits." And we need to remember what what we're here to do. And that is that we are still fundamentally a business. We still need to serve customers. We still need to grow and generate ideas and come up with solutions for products and services. So we're kind of taking a step back and renegotiating that relationship between employee and employer. Um, I think it's gonna be a gradual process. I think it's gonna take time, Um, but I think some of what's happening in the economic environment is gonna be fueling a lot of that. And when we renegotiate those relationships, they're, they're not gonna be the way they are now.
0: Okay. Do you think there'll be cultural uh, nuances to this? So, obviously, you're talking on a global level, you're going to get little pockets of different um, <clears throat> opinions on this. So, in Britain, we're, we're pretty hybrid working is the vastly adopted model of working, and most people are happy with that because we're a rel- relatively, um, you know, we, 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 we liked human connection face to face, but we also like rocking about of bed at half eight in the morning. Like, we like a bit of both. Um, are we going to find that there's going to be a bit of a swing of that, or is it all just going to come down to economics at the end of the day?
1: Um, so let me make sure I understand your question. I mean, as far as hybrid work goes, I think hybrid work is going to be the future of work. I mean, it's something that I and many others have talked about for, you know, over the past decade or so. It's kind of a blending. I mean, hybrid work is exactly what it sounds like. It's It's a hybrid environment. So sometimes you're in the office, sometimes you're virtual. You kind of negotiate that relationship with your team, with your leader. Um, so I think that's definitely going to be the relationship going forward. So is that kind of the the question that you were asking is what if that's going to be the future?
0: Yes, kind of. So, for instance, I used to work at Opera. Um, I was hybrid working, so I was UK based, but uh, the main mm-hmm. office is Beijing. I would, Beijing, the team in Beijing now would not be working, well, they may be because of China's a specific example, but culturally, if they're able to legally get it back into work, they'll be back into work, um, whereas it would be more of a, you know, a discussion, let's say, in the UK. Um, so I was just looking at whether or not you think that, that there are also going to be those kind of nuances in in within different markets as well, uh, and whether they can affect uh, what the yeah. future looks like in those markets.
1: Yeah. And it depends on the company, right? So some organizations are being much more um, strict with their approaches and their policies and some other organizations are being more flexible. I think part of it is because the pendulum has shifted so far in the hands of employees, what a lot of companies are trying to do in order to rebalance it is you kind of overcorrect and go back the other way. So that's why a lot of organizations are saying, we want you back in the office full time every day or don't come in. Um, this is what a lot of organizations, I think Amazon, Netflix, Twitter, uh, several organizations out there are are trying to, Goldman Sachs, I think was another one, that are kind of implementing this. And, and, I, and I suspect that they're doing this for a while, and then they will probably go back a little bit more towards a hybrid environment. But it's kind of, would their goal being to aim for center or a little bit off center? They kind of have to pull all the way to the other side and then kind of hope that the pendulum swings and lands somewhere in the middle. So that's been one approach that some organizations are taking. And then there are other organizations that are saying, look, um, we are going to mandate a hybrid environment where sometimes you'll come in, sometimes you'll be virtual. uh, Let's try to find a common medium. And then there are still other organizations out there. And I'm trying to I, I can't remember any off the top of my head, but I do remember seeing some stories over the past few months of some companies who are just saying, you know what, we're good with just full full virtual going forward, you know, depending on the role and the function that you have. Um, so we're seeing, you know, definitely a blend and a mix of different types of environments and different organizations approaching it in, in in different ways. And I think it really depends on the culture, the business that the company is in, what it does, who the leaders are. Um, but that's, I mean, that's part of what hybrid work means, is that there's no longer a one size fits all approach. It's, it's going to be different for every company. You yeah. can expect you go work for Elon Musk, you're going to be in the office working nine to five. Well, let's be honest, you're probably going to be working like nine to eight every single day. But you're going to be getting paid well, you're going to be working on really cool problems and challenges, you are going to be working with one of the world's, um, you know, foremost uh, minds when it comes to all things business and entrepreneurship and just these grand ideas. And for some people that is motivation and drive and push. You know, even Netflix, their corporate culture, they're very honest and they'll say, look, if you work at Netflix, you're going to work harder than you've worked at any other company. You're probably going to work long hours. You're probably going to have to make sacrifices. But you know what? We're going to pay you well. We're going to take care of you. We're going to give you amazing perks and benefits. And you're going to be working on some really cool stuff. And if that's the kind of environment that you're okay to be a part of, you know what? We want you to join. If you're not okay with that kind of a culture in that environment, hey, you know what? No problem. We're not the company for you. So, you know, part of I think what organizations are going to have to do a better job of going forward is being much clearer in terms of what employees should expect, what kind of culture the organization really has, and what um, the organization is committed to doing for their employees. Uh, And I think that's actually a very, very positive
0: thing. Yeah, is it not Netflix that has the no arseholes um, kind of? Um, so if you're a top performer but you're an arsehole, you're fired. Is, is it yeah. Netflix? Something? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah.
1: If, there, there are a few companies out there that have a similar approach and a similar policy. But yeah, I think I don't remember if Netflix was the first company to introduce that, but um, yeah. but yes. And they're very transparent about it.
0: Yeah, that's great. Transparency is key in a lot of all this, um, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yep.
1: And you know what? Netflix, uh, the corporate culture in Netflix is not for everybody. Not every. Yeah. Not every employee is comfortable with the level of transparency and openness that you are going to find in Netflix, which means that those people should not be applying for jobs in Netflix.
0: Yeah, true. Um, Can you clarify something for me, Jacob? Because every week we hear a, a report from the States. One week it will say that um, corporations are generally mandating back to the office. Uh, another one says it's it's predominantly hybrid working. what are what are you finding? is it is it even state-centric depending on on areas of of, of, of the uh, of the states because because we're, we're getting conflicting reports every week. we're getting conflicting yeah. in our consultants we're getting conflicting um, answers. what what's your take? You know <clears throat> honestly, who the heck knows? Um,
1: yeah. I think it is it's not state level, it's not even city level. It is like organizational level. Right? I mean, the Amazon story, I think, was fairly recent, uh, two, three days ago. Another one that I remember is Activision Blizzard. Um, they were saying employees go back to the office. You know, they're obviously the, the game uh, software development company. They're forcing employees back to the office. So it's, you know, they're very different companies, right? One is a software development gaming company. One is Amazon, which is kind of an everything company. So I, it's um, it's it's hard to spot where the trends are. But I suspect, and I hope that these are organizations who are making decisions based on what they've seen internally, right? I mean, Salesforce, Mark Benioff said, as a result of the pandemic, as a result of everybody working virtually, he says that with this new workforce that we're having, we're seeing less productivity. And Microsoft said uh, recently, I think it was last year or a couple months ago, That although employees are still able to work in a virtual environment, that Microsoft as a company has seen declines in innovation as a result of a virtual environment. So some companies are using data, they're trying to, you know, get more of an analytical approach to make their decisions. And other companies are just kind of like, you know what, it's time to get back to the office. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to spot a very clear trend on
0: what's going on. I think it's just really organization um, dependent. Yeah, that's ironic because obviously, depending on the business, Microsoft is, is Microsoft Teams is becoming the centralized hub for the employee experience. Yeah. So for many, for many businesses, you don't need to do anything other than log into Teams in the morning and log out of Teams when you finish your day, using the Viva modules or whatever other third-party integrations that are in their platform. So, so it depends. I suppose it depends on the business, but they're they're clearly shifting towards um, like the Teams being the one-stop shop for your digital yeah. experience. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, and so and if we move it back to, to, to communications, um, Jacob, so obviously we're looking at um, top-down, most of the people I speak to will say, yeah, we're still top-down um, focused, uh, it's just traditional organisation. You know, I was at Oxford University Press before, this job was simply a 500-year-old business. You don't just suddenly, um, you know, give yeah. the people the voice that they want, um, that kind of stuff. So, but do you think that humanisation of communications, what I'm talking about there really is, is people-centric stories do you think that is one way that that will kind of engage and in, in, increase longevity of organizations moving forward do you think that is do you think that is the future of work yeah so people-centric stories yes yeah um so when you say people-centric you, stories you, what do you mean and user-generated content any anything that involves giving people a voice you know from uh whatever wherever they are in the company
1: Um, I'm a big believer in giving employees and people a voice if we can create an environment where that voice is able to be shared and debated and talked about in a respectful and meaningful way. If you're talking about giving employees voice and if they speak up, you're just going to rail against them and fire them and threaten them, then that's not a good thing. We're Mm -hmm. seeing this, especially um, in the States with this woke movement, right? Right. Where we talk about freedom of speech and share what you want, and employees have a voice. And then all of a sudden you hear all sorts of crazy stories inside of organizations where if you speak up and you share an opinion or you go against something, then you are um, you, you know you're you're fired, your life is made hell, you're um, you're you're just looked at and viewed differently. And also we're seeing an environment inside of organizations where if we're talking about, giving employees voice, then voices should be heard equally, right? So why should the CEO's voice be, you know, or should the CEO's voice be more meaningful and more powerful and taken more seriously about a a certain issue than somebody who is not in a leadership role? So there's a lot of nuances to figure out when we talk about um, voice of the employee. In general, yes. I think every employee inside of an organization should have a voice and should be able to speak up. But again, the key difference there is what's going to happen after you do speak up. And one of the things that I think we're seeing in a lot of organizations is that employees are scared to speak up. They are scared to share their voice unless it goes against with whatever, you know, the common thread and direction is in that side of uh, in that organization is because if you go against it Uh, there's a real fear of retribution. So it's kind of a tough topic, right? Yes, voice is good, but you need the right environment to exist so that that voice can be talked about and explored. I mean, the simple thing is like politics, right? So you know, I live in California, which is obviously a very democratic state, and there are a lot of tech companies here. They're very democratic. They're very liberal in nature. So if you talk about something like, I should be able to share my voice, let's say I do work at a tech company. Let's say I work at I don't know, Meta or, um, uh, you know, Twitter or who, you know, who cares what the company is? And I say, you know what, I uh, i am a Republican. I like somebody like Trump or DeSantis. And here's why. And here's my argument. Um, am I going to get in trouble for saying something like that? Or do we have an environment where we could actually openly talk about that? And it's OK to say, you know what? that's totally fine who you are uh, aligned with on a, on a political stance or where you are in terms of vaccine mandates or where you are in terms of you know pick whatever topic or issue that you want. But we need to create an environment where we can actually talk about these things, not where we create an environment where we want your voice to speak up. And if we don't like your voice, we're gonna lop your head off. And I think that's the danger that we see inside of a lot of organizations where we say we want voices heard but we don't really want voices heard we only want voices that agree with kind of the collective voice inside that company and i think that's the big danger um yeah. but going back to your original question yes right voice of the employees is important if we can create it in a way where we can be civil and respectful and open-minded and curious about what those voices are instead of shutting them down um, and demonizing people
0: yeah that's, i mean obviously your policy is even more pointed than ours, which is quite impressive. Um, but yeah. obviously, there needs to be a line. Um, so, where would that lie? So, for instance, let's say every day someone spouts some info info wars stuff, um, yeah, Setting employees. I mean, is that is that the line? Where where does the line? Where you know, somewhere we need to draw a line, right? Um, so, yeah. So.
1: Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure honestly where that line is. Um, I, I I don't know, but I think that's that's part of the conversation that should be had. Is where where is that line? What what is okay to talk about inside of our an organization, and what is not okay to talk about? And having that kind of a dialogue, which quite honestly, I don't, I, I'm not even aware of organizations that are opening that up and saying, look, we live in a very polarizing world. We live in a world where there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of stress and anxiety around a variety of topics. Um, so let's let's create kind of rules of engagement. Let's set, let's set out the rules of discussion that we can have in our company as far as what we're going to be open uh, with hearing and what kind of like crosses the line and goes too far. And I think that's a good starting point to have. Uh, right, I mean, you know, what what does cross that line? You know, I I, I don't know. That that's a good question, and I I suspect it will probably be different uh, for various organizations. But that's that's a conversation worth having.
0: Yeah. So it reminds me, of when I was at lad, Bible, um, there was a southern uh, southern uh, writer um, and conservative voter and open. And that was a problem <laughs> to our entire yeah. organization, um, you know, and, uh, and, and it was also a problem as as the, the writers that we were writing for an audience that weren't really the voice of the people who were employed there, um, so you, to, you know, um, basically. Um, yeah. So even just that, just, you know, and obviously that's before you go into particular, you know, uh, particular areas within uh, yeah, and centers it's, and all that. So it can be not, problematic. The, the
1: debate, the debate used to be thought of as a skill right you and and we used to have debate um, tournaments debate classes like there were you know how do you debate a certain topic how do you debate a certain issue and i think debate is a very healthy thing and for some reason in today's world it kind of feels like we've gotten rid of this idea of debate and we've replaced it with this it's it's not debating anymore it's it's arguing it's attacking it's like you know, what, what happened to that level of curiosity, right? What happened to the, like, it's okay that you don't agree with me. Like, I want to understand. I genuinely want to understand why, why do you believe that? Right. And then saying, okay, well, I understand. I I get where you're coming from. I don't agree, but I understand where you're coming from. And you're a human being and you're entitled to your own opinions. And, and, and being able to have that kind of civil discourse, I think is, it's needed now more than ever, especially in today's environment where it's just like, you know, people are wanting to tear each other apart, uh, especially with cancel culture that we're starting to see. You say the wrong thing and people want to rip your head off. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a scary
0: and terrifying time, especially if you're a leader. But I do I do see I do see problem. Let's say we're, um, you're celebrating Pride Month in the UK or wherever. Yeah. And um, someone wrote on the Yammer, let's say, oh, I'm, I'm a um, conservative Christian. I, I don't believe in uh, homosexuality. I think it's a sin. Probably HR would definitely get involved uh, in the UK for something like that. I mean, but is that an opinion? And is it an opinion held by millions of people? The answer is yes and yes. So, again, it's I guess where where HR where where the yeah I guess it's on, a, on an individual company level these kind of things. Um, yeah, and that's, you
1: know, that's, that's tough. And again, I, I don't, I don't have the answers to all of those things. Like, um, you know, I'm sure there there are different types of stories and situations that have come up. Um, you know, there are some companies out there who say when they you know, are created and built, you know, maybe we're a conservative company or we're a liberal company, and this is what we believe in. And these are the stances that we take. And if you want to work here, this is kind of our culture and our values and our beliefs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you hire people who kind of align with that um and i can't think of companies off the top of my head but i know that there are some organizations that are you know that are like that but um yes yeah, i mean it's 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 a fascinating conversation i think one worthy of debate inside of any you know any corporate environment
0: yeah um, we'll just quickly move on to the tech and then we'll wrap up um Because i just want to see what, looking at kind of the technological revolution within the enterprise um, do you think that um, artificial intelligence, hyper personalization, sending the right message to the right person at the right time, do you think that's the key to getting the message to employees, to keeping engagement high? Do you think that's going to be critical in the years to come? Well, suppose, uh, I suppose it depends on what you mean by the right message
1: to the right employees at the right time using artificial intelligence. Um, so what, what kind of message are you talking about? Like, what Do you have an example of what? what that yes. means
0: so 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 there, there'll always be a time where where curate where curation is key so that that people will go into whatever uh employee platform they've got and they will see whatever they need to see um but basically though it's it's algorithmically based but on interest. That, so it might be learning materials and it knows what you want to see ah, okay. that, yeah so that comes to when yeah the employee experience basically yeah it's getting it's pumping stuff that's relevant to you so you're not basically trawling an intranet um, looking for that uh, that research paper you needed from six years ago and you're yeah, actually getting content is- delivered to you that's relevant.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is very useful. I mean, we kind of see this in our personal lives, right? So when you use something like YouTube, when you go to Google or Twitter, when you see a lot of different things like that, you do get recommendations. I mean, even if you go on the Netflix and you watch a particular show, you recommended other shows that might be like that one. Same thing when you go to Amazon and purchase a product. Um, you are recommended other products that you might like based on the one that you purchased. So it only stands to reason that why can't we have something like that inside of our organizations where we have AI or we have software and technology that knows who we are, where we are in the company, you know, what our trajectory might be, and something that can help us figure out what we should be learning to get to that next step. I think that would be a very very exciting thing, uh, and I, and I believe organizations we, we've we're at some capacity there you know i think some organizations have been making pretty big investments in that space but absolutely i
0: think that would be a very very powerful thing for a company to have yeah you mentioned that it is quite costly do you think that organizations will spend big on digital transformation in the coming years knowing hybrid working and disparate workforce is is yeah 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 there's there's no doubt i mean there's
1: no doubt that there's going to be a lot of i mean we're already starting to see a lot of spending there Um, I I don't expect that to slow down. I I can't imagine what would make it slow down. If anything, Right, the pandemic has sped a lot of that up Um, and it's forced a lot of digital transformations. It's forced a technology uh, evolution and revolution for many companies around the world. And I I think that trend is only going to increase going forward
0: yeah yeah we, we've seen so our business has seen it with we, digital workplaces kind of our, our main key focus and since the pandemic we've seen a huge uptick uh vendors as well just it just just in vendors appearing from nowhere one was yeah. a startup staff base as an example was a startup six years ago it's now a unicorn you know uh there's a lot of yeah uh um winners um, uh, in, in, in this area. And obviously, we, we're we a consultancy and community and events business that focuses on the digital workplace. And we've seen, obviously, a massive uptick as well in uh, in interest.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, uh, um, it's a trend that's only going to increase. And I, I mean, I'm excited to
0: see where it leads to. Well, two more questions for you, Jacob. Uh, I'm going to ask about ChatGPT, which I'm sure everyone has to do about every single week. But I'm going to ask how it's going to help or hinder communications teams. Um, I I would assume
1: it could help communications teams. Um, I mean, my team uses ChatGPT. I use ChatGPT. We're constantly trying to figure out how can we write something more effectively? How can we get our message across in a better way? So for for communications teams, which are all about getting across messages and getting across uh, ideas and visions, I think being able to leverage something like ChatGPT can be a very, very powerful thing, whether it's You know, help me create a good outline for this, help me find resources for this, um, you know, help craft this message in an inspiring way. I think ChatGPT is a very, very powerful tool and resource, Uh, you know, and going forward, who knows what it's going to be like in one year, two years, three, five years down the road. I think it'll be, you know, it's crazy to even imagine the direction that it's
0: going in, but it's, um, it's a very powerful tool. Yeah, I've used it. Um, I find it helpful to save my thinking time of like outlining if I'm writing something, it basically does it for me uh, and it's usually pretty spot on. I just get rid of the stuff that's not relevant. And then I have a bit of a template ready. Same for things like we we do events. Uh, we're doing one in Amsterdam. Tell us the best 10 venues for 100 yeah. attendees. Yeah, some, there you go. Some of the nonsense. Some of them are spot on, you know, so, yeah, we've been finding it's quite useful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really it's really cool. I mean, I I don't have any uh,
0: bad things to say about it. Yeah. Uh, final question. So five years ago, the role of the the communicator or the internal communicator um, was different again um, pre pandemic, um, and people have had to learn not just about digital transformation, but also educate themselves more on DE and I initiatives, ESG, uh, channel management things. You know that they were. Um, skills that they weren't necessarily learning um, even and working on daily five years ago they're now doing as a daily routine
1: mm-hmm. how will they
0: to remain relevant in another five years time how are they going to remain employable uh, and useful to the business so specifically uh, communications functions and teams yeah the communications
1: function well part of the uh, the crucial role of communications teams and functions is around storytelling right? It's, it's getting a message across. It's it's creating an inspiring um, vision, a, a direction for the business, uh, getting people aligned. You know, going forward, that is only going to become more powerful and more useful and more valuable, especially as we continue, at least for now, we we all work and live in a very, it feels like a very tense world where the conversations are very polarized and we're kind of being pulled apart in a lot of different directions. I think communication roles and functions can play a very unique role in kind of helping bring people back together. Um, Tell those stories, find common things that we can use to to connect with each other on, to inspire others. Uh, So I think there's a lot of potential to do good inside of organizations for those communications teams if that's kind of how they view their role is is, unifying the team, unifying the organization, inspiring people, uh getting everyone to move in in you know towards a common
0: direction. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of value there. So I like that answer. It's basically all the modern technology is is all there, and you got to learn all that. But actually, it's back to the essence of storytelling. Uh, is where yeah. you're, that's where your USP is. Yeah, storytelling has
1: always been um, a powerful thing, and it's storytelling from kind of that human perspective and that human angle. I think is still very very unique. Um, And and I think that going forward will become even more powerful, especially in a technology-driven world. Great. Jacob, thanks so much for your time.